Welcome to The Big Let Go. I'm your host, Monica Fay. I'm a professional organizer and declutter expert, and I am passionate about where mental wellness, emotional health, and physical mess all intersect. It's a good day to have a good day, and I'm so excited for this episode because I think a huge component of how we deal with letting go and what we keep, our organizational systems, our decluttering choices, has a lot to do with the relationships in our lives, the people that we coexist with, who we live with, who we see at work each day, and how we relate to them, how we also relate to their behavioral patterns and learning patterns. And so relationships are so important to this aspect of our work. That's why I'm so excited to introduce you all to Rachel Wright, who's one of my favorite people. Uh, Rachel Wright is a psychotherapist and is recognized as one of the freshest voices on modern relationships, mental health, sex. She's an experienced speaker, group facilitator, educator, therapist, and on-camera mental health and relationship expert. She's got a master's degree in clinical psychology, and she's worked with thousands of humans all over the world, helping them scream less and screw more, which I love. Um, She's brought her message to stages across the globe, and she was Shape Magazine's sex and relationship coach. She's got virtual workshops called What You Wish You Learned in School Sex Ed. And she also did a show at Green Room 42 in New York called One Night Stand, A Night for Sexier and Healthier Broadway. Um, She's been featured everywhere, all over the media, Shape, Insider, InStyle, Well and Good, Cosmopolitan Magazine, Women's Health, NBC News, Huffington Post, all over the place. And she's wonderful to follow. Uh, So we're going to be talking to Rachel today about what it's like to, what her thoughts are on decluttering and ownership and how to organize some of the more intimate items. One thing I've also really appreciated about Rachel Um, aside from her expertise as a therapist in relationships and sex, is also her personal life. Rachel has three primary partners who she lives with. She's in a polyamorous committed relationship with her three partners. And so we'll be talking a little bit about that too, living in a polyamorous relationship and uh, managing expectations and organization with several people within your home in a harmonious way that works for everybody. And whether you're in a polyamorous relationship or you have uh, several roommates or you have children at home, anytime we're in a home with multiple people, there's gonna be lots of different personalities, lots of different expectations, a lot of different behavioral patterns. So I just love listening to her talk about her personal life and uh, her dynamic with her partners. So without further ado, I'd love to introduce you to Rachel Wright. How are you today? We'll start there. I am so good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very thrilled to be here. I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. I know that I grabbed a quote from you last year for Better Homes and Gardens on um, mental wellness and clutter. So I'm so excited that we actually get to talk today and, um, and do this together. Same, same. I know we've been in each other's spheres for a little while, but finally getting to, to meld minds live. (laughs) Absolutely. And I thought you were the perfect person to talk to because not only are you a sex and relationship, um, expert and a psychotherapist, you also, um, are, are in polyamorous relationships. So you have a lot going on at all times. You have to 
manage your schedule with multiple people, um, not only professionally, but personally. So I thought this would be such a great episode to talk about all those ways that you were able to um, manage your schedule and your relationships with people so that everybody feels really good. And totally. Yeah. I think it's so interesting because, you know, so many of us, even before I was practicing non-monogamy, mm-hmm. um, I had so many close friends and so many family members and so many other friends. And I was always someone that was navigating and integrating and balancing lots of different things. And so it's so interesting because I, I hear this a lot, like, oh my gosh, four, you know, three primary partners, like how how in the world do you schedule all of that? And I'm like, well, do you, do you have more than one friend? Like it's not too dissimilar to that, but you Mm -hmm. live with them. So then it makes it even a little easier. Um, but yeah, it is, it is definitely a juggling act. Uh, but so is everything else with scheduling, you know, our lives are crazy. So tell me a little bit about, um, how you function with your partners because friends, Sometimes we have friends that need more, you know, time than other people. And then we have some friends that are like, I'll see you in a year and you better not act like anything's a problem. Um, But when you're primarily with people and you, um, these are your partners, so they require a little bit more attention. How did you get started with this, with each one? Was each relationship more spread apart in between. And so you had a foundation with uh, one partner and then a new person came along and you were able to adjust one at a time or did, um, were you introduced to your partners at a similar time? How did that timeline unravel for you? That's a really great question. Um, I, so I started practicing non-monogamy. I've been non-monogamous my whole life in, in my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know the words I didn't know, but I never understood why I had to pick one person. And then I did the serial Mm -hmm. monogamy thing where it would be like, Oh, you're great, but I want to kiss this person. So I guess we have to break up. Like it just, it never made sense to me. So as soon as I learned what it was, which was actually my master's program when I was becoming a therapist, um, the next person I dated was Kyle. Um, and Kyle became my husband and we Mm -hmm. started dating almost 10 years ago. Um, and on our very, very, very first date, we talked about our sexuality and the idea of non-monogamy. And we both agreed that there was no interest in having a long-term relationship or marriage that was monogamous. Now we didn't want to act on it right away because we wanted to get to know each other and really like focus in on that relationship for a little while. We were also long distance at the beginning. Um, so it, it, it gave the perception that like, if we were to focus elsewhere, we wouldn't be able to grow what we, what we did. Um, so he and I would check in like every six months or so. And finally, uh, in 2018, we were like, let's do it. Um, and I have not felt more like myself. Uh, so then after doing that, I I've dated, you know, individually different people. So was Kyle. And then, we met Ashley and Yair, um, and I never in one million trillion years thought that I would have three life partners and all live together and want to have children together. And now we're getting amicable divorces, like each 
original quote unquote couple. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're entering into a, a cohabitation agreement with a lawyer that works with polyamorous families. Um, It's just unbelievably wild. Mm -hmm. Um, so Ashley and Yeager were married when we met them and Kyle and I were married and legally right now, as of today, we're still married, but we're going through the process of, of amicable divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I met Kyle about a decade ago and then met Ash and Yair, um, March of 2020, actually. Do you think it makes a difference, um, to how well things have gone for all of you together that there were two relationships established and kind of like the dynamic between two people each, before coming together that has maybe made it smoother at all? Um, or do you I think th- that I think that there are positives and negatives mm-hmm. for both. Yeah. You know, like I coming in as two couples uh, that were practicing hierarchical non-monogamy, which mm-hmm. is like where your nesting partner is your primary partner and anyone else outside of that is uh, – not your primary partner. I, I hate the term secondary part. I really like just hate it. Um, but not, not your primary nesting partner. You know, you're not sharing bank accounts. You're not raising kids. You're not paying a mortgage together. Um, for two couples that were practicing non-monogamy that way to naturally get into a relationship where we wanted to dissolve that and all be equal was very challenging at times. Um, It also, it was one of those things that like happened without us being super conscious about it. Mm -hmm. It was just how we naturally were. Um, So that presented its own, its own set of challenges. I do think that it's harder for four individual humans to like all meet each other and, Mm -hmm. you know, find, find a synergy. Um, For like how lucky it all comes together. It's like all four all at once. That's pretty, yeah. that's pretty lucky yeah. to just find kindred spirit all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super, super happy. I, I, so my therapist is, she's um, polyamorous as well, and she has um, three partners. And I learned quite a bit about polyamory before uh, starting therapy with her. I was not in therapy. I'm not in therapy with her for that, but I have to say having a therapist who is an expert in mental health and also being a polyamorous person, I felt like my therapy sessions were so much deeper because of the experience she was coming in. I've been with therapists for years, but hearing her experience and I thought it brought something different to therapy than just, you know, a therapist that's in a, that's experienced monogamy their entire lives. Um, do you find that coming from your background, maybe when you're coaching or, um, you, with your, in your client sessions that you've brought, brought something different to them, even if they're not looking to talk about polyamory, do you think that your experience with, um, all these, relationships and having to make it work in a way that might not feel completely natural at first and you have to learn each other's behavior. Do you think that that's brought something different to your practice that other therapists might not, not, not have that perspective? Um, 
Yes and no. I, I think that, you know, even before I was practicing non-monogamy, I worked with a lot of non-monogamous clients. And I don't think that I'm like better at my job because of it. What I do know is that people feel more comfortable talking to me about a lot of different stuff, knowing that I am living a life that is not within the constructs of what we consider the norm in our world. And so before, you know, I, I'm queer, but you can't see that. And I wasn't talking about it all the time. And mm -hmm. I'm also Jewish, but you can't really see that. And I'm not talking about it all the time. And so mm -hmm. being out as non-monogamous, it's like, oh, you are in this small, small, small portion in our insane mononormative society um, that lives like this. And so in that way, I think that it's actually helped my clients more than me. Like, I don't think that my clinical skills have changed. What I do think is that yeah. folks feel more comfortable talking to me about other things. Mm -hmm. I love that. that. That's exactly how I feel with my therapist. It's like, but she just has all this ex experience because we are our professional relationship is that she shares some of her life with me too. And it's, it is that comfort of being able to explore things for myself and also talk about things that I might not have known I'd be comfortable talking about. And, um, that perspective, just her coming from that perspective and that experience has opened up a lot. So I can imagine that people feel like that with you as well. Thank you for that reflection. I, I surely hope so. Surely hope so. Well, it seems to be working because, you know, um, you were the Shape Magazine sex and relationship coach, and that's a pretty big deal, being able to uh, have that platform and to share the way you share and, um, you know, it, with your life experience. So I think that's pretty cool. Thank you. Yeah, it's been really wonderful getting to do stuff in the media and, you know, being able to talk about my, my three areas of talking and of expertise are mental health, sex, and relationships. And to be able to talk about these things that are so incredibly important to all of us that we get little to no education around is so important to me. And so being able to do that through different platforms and, you know, companies and organizations, um, has just been lovely and wonderful. And I, I love being able to reach new people that way. And the more we, the, the larger the platforms are and the more that they're open to having these conversations, it's like, it gives more people a chance to be their authentic selves and to, you, you know, know that it's not just one person trying to champion normalizing it. It's like, no, this is just normal. It's just normal. It's not being edgy. It's like, hey, we're doing this all over consistently and teaching people that there's no one way to be and that this is perfect. Like this is great. And that mental health changes the way you might feel about yourself, um, in relationships or during sex and, uh, just the way we relate with people. So I really love that you, you bring your perspective, um, to these platforms. Um, Thank I you. want, so I wanted to ask you, um, within your home and sharing it with, um, several people, and different personalities, I'm guessing. Do you find that there uh, that you have to be more vigilant about organization or your belongings? And if so, what was that like for you learning um, new new personalities living with you and how how they ha um, maintain their own organizational system or their belongings? What's that been like for you personally? 
<laughs> that's a really great question. Um, so Ashley uh, is incredibly organized. I thought I was an organized person until I met Ashley. Um, she is a different type of organized and it, she's like the organized that I was when I was little and like didn't have other things in my brain. And I don't know how she does it, but she balances so many things and still has like a label maker that makes labels for all of our things. And she is just beyond. Um, it's so, I'm so grateful for it. So Ashley kind of sets up systems in our house for us. Um, and she'll make to-do lists, you know, like, hey, you have a pile of junk over here. Can you take care of it? soon. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm typically not like a, a very dirty person, but I'm a pretty like messy person in the way of I will leave clutter out for like my whole work day. I won't like clean up in between things or, you know, like my lunch plate is still sitting next to me, but I've been done with lunch for two and a half hours. Um, so things like that. Uh, and then, you know, each, each guy is a little bit different. Um, And we just, we've all, you know, we have a chore chart. It's kind of like if two people, but just with four, you know, it's like extra laundry, but extra hands to fold it and extra dishes, but extra hands to do them. It's, uh, yeah. 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 In a lot of families, you know, there's just the different personality dynamics and, I know whether it's in a relationship or a parent and a child, it can sometimes people bump heads because it's like you might have one person who values uh, minimalism and cleanliness and then another person who might be more of a creative or have ADHD and piles things up. And sometimes it can be contentious because two different personality types are like, I love you, but this isn't working for me. Like putting things away all the time doesn't work for me or, you know, your little piles don't work for me. So I always find it fascinating um, how people um, work around each other. And when it comes to a head, like this is not working and what people do um, to resolve that and create systems around that. Um, Whether, you know, it's just like a college roommate that you brought in for six months or it's a child or an adult child who moves in after not being around them for a really long time or relationships. And um, I've found that sometimes clutter can be the tipping point of people's arguments. And, and I wanted to get your thoughts on that and maybe not even from your own relationships, but just from your expertise um, in relationships, how, physical mess or not having a routine or having a routine that's too stringent can sometimes put a strain on a relationship with, uh, in, with people. Totally. I, you know, for some people clutter exactly what you said. It's like the, the tipping point that takes someone from like a little bit stressed to like really anxious and agitated, Mm -hmm. you know, our, our external space is such a reflection of our internal space and vice versa. And typically if our area in front of us or where we are is cluttered, our brains are pretty cluttered. And Mm -hmm. when the area around us is organized and nice and put away, we're typically feeling, you know, clean and light and, um, yeah, light on the inside. And Mm -hmm. so, then that's not true for everybody. Like some people feel great and like they just leave their crap everywhere and like, that's fine. Um, 
but yeah, it can definitely push someone over the edge. And it's important to be able to communicate that. That's where I see the lack happening with when I work with couples or triads or quads or whatever, is that, you know, there's someone who really, really can't stand to be around clutter. And it doesn't come out until there's like so much clutter and then they just lose their mind. And then the other people or person is like, what is happening? Like, I didn't, I didn't even know that they were feeling this way. And it's like this shock instead of, "Ah!" yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Instead of like, Hey, in, in, in a very calm moment, like when things get to a certain point in cluttery, I start to feel really overwhelmed. And it would mean a lot to me if we could keep the, you know, piles off of the table downstairs or whatever the thing is. Um, and then on the other side, absolutely having, having a routine is helpful, but the thing about routines is that we have to be flexible. The second that we get too stuck in anything, like whether that is how you put away your clothes, your workout routine, your morning ritual routine, um, whatever that is, you cannot get so stuck in it that when something happens and your dog needs to like go to the vet or your kid needs to be picked up early from school that it is so um, flustering and destabilizing Mm -hmm. that you then start to feel completely off kilter. And so what you can do to do that is not follow your routine exactly every Mm -hmm. single day. Give yourself a couple days where you kind of just go free (laughs) and, and not be in this routine so that you can get used to not necessarily being in the same pattern every day. This will also help then when you go on vacation and are having trouble relaxing because you're not in your routine, it will help with that. If your brain and body are used to being comfortable, not in this exact routine over and over and over again. I love that. And, you know, um, when we're dealing with uh, mental health, because I I know you love uh, to explore that too, like mental health in relationships, Sometimes, I mean, a lot of times, actually, when people are starting to feel, you know, going through things within depression, anxiety, whatever it may be, we start to see that physical evidence outside of it. I like to think of clutter. Clutter is just information. It's just telling us your behavior patterns. If something shifted for you, if you're feeling down, if you're feeling up, if you, you know, your boundaries have been crossed and you're not really advocating for yourself. Um, Clutter is information. And I wanted to ask you, what do you think we should tell people to look for when they start to see clutter? At what point should they check in with themselves and how should they check in with themselves? Like, hey, and it doesn't even have to be clutter related, but how do you check in with yourself um, to make sure that you're not kind of going downhill, that things aren't wrong and that you need to seek outside help or start to do things for yourself to really help your mental health. And one of those ways for me is clutter, but sometimes people get, it, it gets way too you know, far in. Um, what do you suggest for that? You know, I think that figuring out where your line is and understanding the connection between clutter and your own mental health. Mm-hmm. So uh, like I was saying, you know, for some people, it really doesn't bother them. So mm-hmm. there may be someone listening that's like, 
what link between my mental health and clutter? Like, what yeah. are you talking about? For some people, it really doesn't affect it. Like yeah. they could walk into a room that is filled with clutter and sit there and not be distracted, not feel anxious, not, you know, it has like no link. Yeah. And then for other people, it is a giant red flag that something yeah. is going on. And so getting a hold of what your baseline is, like when everything is just fine, what are things like? What is your natural state of being? And, you know, then the people who you're living with, like, if they want it to be a little bit more organized, less cluttery, lean that way and see how it feels. Or even if you live by yourself, try decluttering and seeing how that feels both mm -hmm. emotionally and somatically. And then you can get a better idea of, can I actually use this external tool to affect my internal being. Even if you haven't experienced that link before, there's still a way to see if it's there. I love that. And um, as far as checking in with people that you, you live with or in relationship with, what do you think are the best tips for that? Because I, I do have a lot of um, clients or people I work with, they may see their partners showing signs of uh, mental health issues or distress or um, not feeling as good. And, and it doesn't always, it's not always because of clutter, but just in general, you start to see people shift or change. How do you think we should approach um, those people? Can you repeat that? I'm so sorry you cut out. Oh, it's okay. Hold on. Let me just. Sorry. That's okay. That's why I love Squadcast because like it records us separately and I can like cut out individual parts of our conversation. Wonderful. No, I was just saying, um, so a lot of my clients, sometimes it involves clutter, but sometimes it's just the, the relationship. They want to know how to approach sensitive topics when they see their partners, you know, struggling with something, struggling with mental health or struggling with clutter, whatever it may be, or both. How do you, what do you suggest people do to come at it in a way that doesn't start a fight and doesn't make people feel judged? Um, that you are noticing behavioral changes and whether it's physical evidence or just their, you know, what they're doing and make them feel safe that, you know, I noticed something's going on and, you know, I'd like to talk about it. How do you suggest people communicate that with their partners? So one of the best ways to do that is to name things objectively mm -hmm. and doing it without judgment. Mm hmm so saying things like, first of all, asking for consent for a conversation. So not blindsiding or bombarding somebody while they're emptying the dishwasher or while they're playing video games or watching their TV show with like, you know, hey, there's clutter. I think something's wrong. And then all of a sudden that person's like, why are you talking to me right now? I yeah. am doing X, Y, and Z. So asking like, hey, I, I want to talk to you about some stuff. Um, it's like house stuff, personal stuff. Um, when would be a good time? And let that yeah. person consent to the conversation first. That's then, such a big one. It's such a big one. Right? Because we... Sometimes we have that all we're, we're kind of anxious about talking to them or ramped up about whatever we're upset about. And then you see that they're cornered somewhere like in the bathroom or in the kitchen. And you're like, this is the perfect time. And it's like, no, it's not like you're going to make them back into the corner and probably shut down talking about these things. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, 
so yeah. So if you do that, then you can start with objective talking. So when I came downstairs, I saw piles of paper on Monday. And then when I came downstairs on Friday, I saw more paper. And I noticed that the paper didn't go away. In my life, when I have seen this happen, it has usually meant that the person whose papers they are isn't feeling super great. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to check in with you and see how you're feeling. And so it's like you're observing, but then giving them the power, like, yes, not because no one wants to be told what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Like no, nobody likes that. We don't, nobody wants that. Exactly. I love that. That's like such a gentle, but powerful approach. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's really, um, otherwise the person you're talking to is going to be on the defensive. Like no matter what you do, they will be on the defensive because it is perceived as an attack. And I know that that word sounds strong, but like Mm -hmm. it, it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask you about, so one challenge a lot of people have is boundaries around the time they spend doing certain activities or with certain people and scheduling. And I know that can be a tender part of relationships, um, managing time and making sure not only other people get the time they deserve with you, but also making sure that you're giving yourself um, the time to do what you need and not just scheduling things that you think should be done, um, but time you need for yourself. I would love to get your thoughts on boundaries in uh, scheduling things for yourself and partners or other people in your life. Um, And then also scheduling techniques that you think that people can uh, really benefit from, especially when your calendar's full. So first and foremost is figuring out what you want and need because you can't set a boundary or make an ask or come up with containers if you don't know what you want. Mm -hmm. And that is honestly, I can tell you that the, the hardest question to answer people will come in to session all the time and say some, let's say they come in and say, you know, I'm having trouble with scheduling. Um, I can't seem to please everybody. I'm not getting enough time for myself. I'm feeling really overwhelmed. Okay. What do you want? And then they stare at me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They have no idea. Yeah. Because we usually, we know what we don't want, right? We're like, this is uncomfortable. I don't want what's happening over here. But I don't know what I actually want over here. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So one of the best things that we can do is actually sit down before we have these conversations with other people and ask ourselves, okay, how much time in a given week do I want for alone time? How much time in a given week do I want one-on-one with a partner? You know, whether that's one partner, two partners, three partners, who cares? Doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. how much time do I want with my friends? 
how much time do I want with coworkers? Mm-hmm. How much time do I want spending um, doing cultural and art things? Uh, how much time do I want to spend going out to eat versus cooking? You know, mm-hmm. all of these questions that really, how much time do I want to spend exercising every week? Like all of these things that really make up our weeks. We don't often take the time to actually ask ourselves what we want. Mm-hmm. So if we can sit down and do that, then we get an idea of, okay, cool. Now, if I take my answers to my own questions and look at the next two weeks, here's the slots that I can offer my partner or partners. Here are the slots that I could offer friends or family or whoever. Here are slots that I want to exercise and cook food. Here are the slots where I can go see a show or go to a museum. And then all of a sudden you can communicate with someone and say, hey, I would really love to see you over the next couple of weeks. Here are the three times that would work best for me. Do any of these work for you? And that is such an easy way to schedule instead of what do you mean you want date night? I'm busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And then you're like, okay. We wait till okay. we're burnt out, I, right? Okay. We, yeah. We wait till it's all, we're all burnt out. And then we're like, what can I cut from the schedule or, you know, yes. yes. from it. And I love that you're like, Hey, before we even have to say, I'm at the point of burnout and, or I have no, no space, time or energy for people. Let me sit down and you're kind of saying, make up your dream calendar, right? You're like, let's create a possibility for the best life. And then let's put it into action. Cause that's what I'm hearing. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We're creating a framework before we have to go back and, you know, fix the thing that's already damaged. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And like, really, truly, I cannot tell you how many times people go into conversations having no idea what they want to get out of it. Yeah. And like, that's okay. If, if you're consciously going in being like, I have no idea what I want out of this, but I want to talk about our time. Then you can even name that, right? Like I don't actually have a goal here. I have no idea what I want from this conversation, but what I do know is I want to get more date nights on the calendar. Can we figure that out? Like, that's okay too. It's just the awareness and the consciousness around, do you know? Yeah. I think it's also important, and I want to get your thoughts on this, assessing the way you're spending the time in relation to the way you want to spend time, and then figuring out if you are involving yourself in commitments, not necessarily relationship commitments, just commitments in general, activities that you don't necessarily really want to do and don't necessarily move the needle forward for things that need to be done, whether it's for your career or your health or, you know, different aspects of your life. It's like, what am I doing that I actually don't want to be a part of? And could I free that up for myself? And sometimes we're so far in them, we don't even look at it that way. Yep. Yep. And I think that, you know, one of the gifts that COVID did give us um, was that because all of a sudden everything was taken away, right? And we couldn't be anywhere. And so we would notice myself and my clients and everyone I knew were noticing like, oh, I don't actually miss this thing. that I did every Wednesday at five, you know, I turns out I don't miss this at all. And 
often we get stuck in routine again, like this, these rigid routines and just go. And we're, again, it's this like lack of consciousness. So asking yourself, like, am I enjoying this? What do I like this? What is my purpose in this? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important for people to understand that asking these questions, they're not silly. These, this is like real. This is how you tap back into yourself and inject life back into your life is to get closer to self, ask these questions and um, treat them as something serious and not just like a little journal exercise. That's when you're sad, you know, it's just, this is something that should be a part of your life all the time is to check in that way. Yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. So I wanted to ask you, do you have any scheduling tools that you use personally or that you recommend to people um, when you're sharing calendars with people or you have to share your timelines with multiple people um, on a daily basis? Yeah. Anything yourself? Totally. So we have a biweekly family meeting mm -hmm. and we have a shared note that is our agenda for that meeting. And one of the items that always is on the agenda is scheduling. Mm -hmm. Um, we have all of our calendars shared so they can see what, it, like right now, if they were to look, they see that I am in a podcast recording. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to get a phone call unless there's a dire emergency. Um, Please tell my mom that, that way... I hear that. Please tell my mom yeah. how to, <laughs> to the, the, the time block that's on the calendar that says podcast recording and not to call. <laughs> Yes, it's important. It's important. She's like, and it really like why I'm like, like a fly to a flame. I'm like, no, no, this is what I'm doing. And she's like, but I must call during that hour. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and some people, you know, like I have my calendar shared with a couple of other people outside of my partners. My partners can see all of the event details except for my client sessions. They don't mm -hmm. see that. They see yeah. that I'm in session, but they don't see the person. Yeah. Um, but I have my calendar shared with a couple of other people too, where like they can just see uh, free or busy, right? That, so that yeah. they don't see the details of everything, but they can still see it. Um, which helps with scheduling. And that's usually with people who I'm scheduling with a lot. Um, mm -hmm. It's just really helpful. And so with all of our calendars being shared with each other, combined with, uh, you know, sitting down biweekly and going through them, um, we it, it becomes pretty easy. You know, there are only so many... Uh, there are only so many slots, right? Where like mm -hmm. all of us are available or all of us are not available. Um, mm -hmm. So one person can say, oh, okay, well, Tuesday looks like a great night for me and so-and-so to go on date night. And then mm -hmm. the other two people will be like, oh, one person will say like, oh, I have plans with a friend that night. So then that fourth person is like, okay, cool. So I can either have an alone night. I could meet up with a friend. I could go on a date with someone else. Like, it, mm -hmm. and we can kind of do it that way. Um, and we try to prioritize, you know, in our house, it's so rare that the four of us are all home and here and like not working that 
we try to prioritize that time first. And then second is, you know, the, the dyads to people. And then we try to also get like triad time on the calendar too. And, um, and also not wait the calendar too heavy so that we're like not seeing friends. Yeah. And you're, it's, I mean, this sounds like a dream because you're basically cutting out all that back and forth text of what time would you be available for this? Like, how about three thirty? No, how about three ten? It's like, no, it's kind of this ritual yep. that you meet and you maybe there's a little bit of that during the week, but it's not the extent of what so many people go through trying to go back and forth for like drinks one night sometime in the future, I guess, you know? <laughs> Yep, exactly. Exactly. And like, I do that with enough people anyway, you know, like yeah. I don't need, I don't need to do it with my partners too. Exactly. And I think that's important to leave. We can't all be so rigid that we have no flexibility for the chaos, you know, and the, the spontaneity, but it is great to have that stru structure and that commitment to yourself that this is the way you will at your baseline, make things work. And then you can do a little bit outside of that framework. Right. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Figure out what works for you. I really do think that the having a container to talk about scheduling and then also sharing your calendar are two very um, simple ways to make the process a bit easier for you, no matter what your your family looks like. You know, and you can also do that with kids. Like, gosh, if Google Calendar existed when I was in high school. Oh, yeah. Oh, what a dream. I mean seriously what a dream you know I'd be able to see like where where my mom was or like oh mm -hmm. yeah dad's at that business meeting or oh my brother has baseball tonight you know like what a dream is that and so <laughs> if you have kids like I would encourage you to implement this with them too and have part mm -hmm. of the family meeting that you have be with the kids and then part of it without because you know there's adult stuff to talk about too um yeah but involve them so that they get used to having these conversations and then they grow up to be an adult that is pretty, pretty good at scheduling things because that's a sexy. <laughs> yeah. Good at scheduling things. But also I think it, it's, um, developing the skill of, of consideration of others and their schedules and, um, not so, you know, understanding other people's time commitments too. And, and I, I think that's a really great skill set. You're right. Um, so a lot of people who are dealing with clutter or, uh, time management issues have ADHD and, um, or just people in general who have, uh, issues putting things in sequential order, especially, you know, when running tasks, not understanding, uh, or not getting how long a task may take and it takes too long or too short. And there can be a lot of overwhelm with that. Do you have any suggestions for people who may be um, living with ADHD or other issues with processing, you know, information in sequential order, yeah. how, the, how they can be more organized with um, their time and um, give themselves a little bit of a break too, because sometimes it's, you, you feel a lot of shame when you're always running late or, you know, uh, totally. not remembering things or overlapping things. Yes, 100%. Lists, 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 lists. Like, if you need a list and a reminder that says, check my calendar today, mm -hmm. do that. If you need a list every single day of the things that you want to get done that day, do it. If you want to sit down the night before the next day and like plug things in in time slots in your calendar down to the minute, do that. Like, 
whatever you need to help structure your day and take the burden off of your brain. I love that. And and that's do it. There's this exercise that I like to do with people. I call it the big brain scrub. And it's the precursor to writing the list. And it's you time, you just put on songs and you write as many things that are in your brain as possible while you're listening to say three to five songs in a row. And you just, every thought that's in there, you just get it out on paper. Cause I think we store so much in our brains and we have limited room. So, you know, certain ideas and, and things we have to remember are fighting for space up there. If we can just get it out on paper sometimes and then create a list from there, we at least get to, you know, get everything out and have that short term relief for a little bit of emptiness um, so that you can pull together the thoughts that you actually want to pull together and give focus to on your to-do list. So sometimes that's like a great strategy too. It's just a big brain dump, but do nothing with the brain dump. Just extract the information yes. you need from it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Get it all out and then sift through what is actually needed for you. So I have to ask you, um, this is a fun, vulnerable question. So you can answer it however okay. you like. What is an item that you find yourself holding on to? It might be like some people have a bag of bags or stuff that you find yourself accumulating. And you're like, why do I do this? This isn't even really important to me. Why is this? Or it might be important to you. But you, you it's like your guilty little pile of stuff that you like. Oh, my gosh. Uh, okay. So two things. Number one is, uh, lipsticks, like lip glosses. Ooh, I yeah. tend to use the same, like two all the time. And yet in my drawer, there are like the same, you know, 15 and I don't, I have no idea why they're there. Uh, the second thing would be sex toys. Um, because yeah. I'm in the work that I'm in, I get shipped so many sex toys like I cannot express to you the volume at which I receive sex toys in the mail it is because everybody wants to try out their product right they want an endorsement yes. yeah. yeah that's yeah that's they want to review an endorsement consideration for media lists um which is great because like frankly I I'm not gonna write about a product I haven't tried so like yeah. that that's the baseline that we gotta start at um but oh my gosh it it has turned into so many piles of things. Like, I don't need all of these. There's just, I don't. No one needs yeah. all of these. There aren't enough days in the year to use these. Like, <laughs> um, that yeah. being said, so uh, sometimes when I'm in homes, um, you know, professional organizers see it all. So I've seen a lot of sex toys all the time. And I always make sure people, they don't, you know, some of them try to hide it. And so I'm like, look, seen it. I will, I will touch them in a way that doesn't contaminate the, the toys or me we will it's fine i've seen it all don't be ashamed but what i've noticed is um a lot of people don't know how to store their sex toys properly and sometimes they'll just like have them i don't know just laying in like a cardboard box and they're not uh or just rolling around in a drawer which i guess is okay sometimes but you know just for the sake of uh being like sanitizing and making sure you're not contaminating anything do you have any suggestions for um, how to organize your sex toys or do you have a preferred way to keep them or are there any products that you recommend like uh, certain boxes or organizations? Yeah. Yeah. There's actually a, a product called joy box with two mm -hmm. X's and it's like a caboodle for sex toys. I don't know if you remember caboodles from the nineties, yes, but do. like they were those. 
you know what I'm talking about? Those like plastic makeup thingies. (laughs) Yes, completely, completely. Um, They're like caboodles for sex toys. They're great. Uh, And the thing is you don't want to keep silicone touching silicone. Mm -hmm. So like, let's say you have two toys that are both silicone and they're like rolling around in your drawer Mm-hmm. those touching each other are not great. It's it's the same reason why we can't use silicone lubricant on a silicone toy. When silicone and silicone meet, these like little microscopic holes happen and mm-hmm. bacteria seeps into the toy. Um, oh, and they're important. so small that we can barely, like we cannot see it at all. Yeah. Um, so that's really important. So you could even go to, you know, the container store and get like a drawer separator or target. I don't know, wherever I, I'm not affiliated with any of these places. Um, just get something to keep them separate. Uh, sometimes like a shoe, depending on how many sex toys you have, like a shoe organizer is a good tool. Um, you know, you can organize by, uh, type of toy. Um, you could organize by material. So like keeping all of your stainless steel separate from all of your glass, um, which can touch each other, uh, you know, and then anything that's silicone, like having it in its own little baggie. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I would recommend. I love that. And do you have any thoughts on when it would be time to let certain toys go? Um, do any of them have like a certain shelf life or what is an indicator that, you know, either you have too many or, you know, you're just not practically using them or that they've been compromised in some way. How can people know when it's time to let go and that you don't always, you don't have to keep a sex toy for the rest of your life necessarily. Maybe no, you-, you don't. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, some of them, like a, a lot of toys are meant to last mm-hmm. literally forever. Um, so before you go throwing it away, like ask yourself why, because if there's a chance you're going to use it again, Mm -hmm. keep it. Um, you can always have like a, an under the bed organizer of these toys in little baggies. Um, there's really no reason to toss it. And Mm -hmm. if it's a toy that can be boiled, you can actually boil it to sanitize it and give it to somebody else. So like if you are close enough with someone to where that conversation is not awkward, you mm-hmm. can say like, Hey, I can sanitize this glass toy and I would, mm-hmm. do you want it? Yeah. You know, I have enough glass butt plugs. Would you like one? Yeah. Um, and you know, that's great. That's it's actually, I was just talking to somebody about disposing sex toys and it's very complicated getting rid of sex toys. Mm-hmm. Um, the UK has like a really incredible recycling program for sex toys where they deal with the silicone pieces they deal with the plastic pieces they deal with the um metal glass uh the motors Motors, Mm -hmm. and the u.s does not have as good of a a grasp on this so -hmm. there are a few like individual places where you can actually mail in your sex toys to recycle but for the most part it's kind of up to you to call your local trash and recycling group to see what you can throw away versus recycle um and like please do that i i know it sounds like a big pain in the ass but it's it's really 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 bad for our environment to um to just toss them like that yeah well, and I think that's important you bring that up to take extra care in how you dispose of them. Um, because when we're decluttering, sometimes it can feel overwhelming. It's like there's so much stuff. It's just, 
so easy to put everything in a big black trash bag and throw out. But once yes. if we if we take decluttering from an approach of getting rid of the high volume stuff like clothing and getting that to the right place and electronics, doing an electronics disposal, then it becomes easier to focus on one or two pieces at a time to go where they need to go and being more conscious and careful about how we're disposing of things. So I always tell people, it's like, I know it can feel tedious to make sure each thing goes to the right area when you're disposing it, but do the high volume stuff first that can all go at once and then work on the individual stuff. So you're not tempted to just throw it out and add to the, the, you know, the problem of waste. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, I wanted to thank you for being here today. I know we jumped on this last minute and I've been a big fan of your work for such a long time. Um, oh, so I wanted to thank, thank you, you for being here. And I wanted to ask you, where can people find you on social media or your website? Yeah, social media. My handle on Instagram is at the right underscore Rachel. So the W-R-I-G-H-T underscore R-A-C-H-E-L. And then my website is rachelwrightnyc.com and connect with me. I like, I love meeting new people. I love supporting folks, you know, whether that's an answer to a question or a link to an article or, you know, connecting you with someone else. Like, I love it. Please don't hesitate to reach out. If any of these things you're like, but I have a question, like, please don't, don't hesitate. You are, so, I do have to say, you are so great at that because I think the first interaction I had with you, I was in like distress over an ex and I was like, I need to express this. And you were just so kind about it. Like now don't expect that out of every therapist online to, to be in the DMs like that. But Rachel yeah. <laughs> was very gracious and she listened and, you know, uh, you didn't give me any therapy, but you did, you gave me um, just one or two sentences that just made me feel a lot better. Um, so Aww, she is very gracious, so but you know, I wanted to thank you for that because um, I was just out of my mind for a little bit there. <laughs> so thank you. I appreciate that. Of course. Thank you for that. I so appreciate it. And it's a, it's a pleasure. All right. Thank you for being here and everyone go check out Rachel and her extensive body of work one of which place you can find her on her podcast called The Right Conversations, and that is streaming on every platform now. And she's got a great uh, library of episodes talking about all sorts of things from sex, relationships, non-monogamy, um, mental health, her personal mental health journey. So thank you, Rachel Wright, for being here. I appreciate you. And Everyone out there, you know what to do. Please go rate the Big Let Go podcast. I love hearing from you and your support means everything. My name is Monica Fay. I am your resident declutter expert and professional organizer, and it's a good day to have a good day.